0: Our second Bible reading is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality... in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, please do keep that page open because we'll be referring to that Bible passage during the sermon. Why don't we bow our heads and pray for God's Spirit to do his life-transforming work through his word. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Father, we pray that we would find your word to be just as you say it is, a lamp to our feet to keep us from stumbling and a light for our path to show us the way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you a balconier or a traveller? A balconier or a traveller? That's a contrast set up by J. I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God. Balconiers are people sitting on a balcony above street level. In Manhattan, I guess, they would be sitting on a fire escape. And as these balconiers sit, they watch people on the street below. Travelers, as the name suggests, aren't sitting on a balcony or a fire escape. They're out on the sidewalk going from one destination to another. Here's what J.I. Packer says about the two groups. The balconeers may comment on the way that the travellers walk or they may discuss questions about the road, but they are onlookers and their problems are theoretical only. The travellers, by contrast, face problems which are essentially practical, problems of the which way to go and how to make it type, problems which call for decision and action, end J.R. Packer himself was firmly on the side of the travellers. He said of his book, Knowing God, this is a book for travellers. Well, that distinction between balconiers and travellers is very relevant to our Bible passage today. In verse 2, Paul tells Christians to walk in love. In verse 8, he says, walk as children of light. And in verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk. You might have heard it said that Christians should make sure that truth goes from our head to our heart, but judging by this passage, it should go to our feet as well. We've got a lot of walking to do. Christians should be travellers, not balconeers. We're to put biblical truth into practice out in the world instead of treating it as something that's just theoretical. So Christians are travellers, we're walkers. And today's passage gives us a road map for our journey. It's rather like the kind of map you find on the inside cover of a fantasy novel. The journey's end is the kingdom of Christ and God. That's the destination according to verse 5, the kingdom of Christ and God. We can picture the towers and gate of that kingdom in the top right hand corner of the map. And on the map there's also a highway leading towards that kingdom. It starts in the opposite corner and it's brightly lit. We could call it the highway of light. As it says in verses 8 and 9, walk as children of light for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. But there's more to the map than just that highway and the kingdom at the end of it. On either side of the highway, there's darkness and evil. Verse 11 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Verse 16 says, the days are evil. And so on either side of the highway of light on this map, we can picture threatening mountains, gloomy forests, and stagnant lakes. Our God-given task is to stay on the highway of light all the way until we reach the kingdom of Christ and God. For the remainder of the sermon, we're going to look more closely at each of those areas on the roadmap. We'll begin with the journey's end, a royal destination. That's our first heading, a royal destination. God's kingdom is often thought of as something that's already underway. For example, we might talk about the kingdom of God advancing when a tribe previously unreached by missionaries hears the good news about Jesus and people in the tribe become Christians. We might talk about the kingdom of God advancing into that tribe, into that place. And it's not wrong to think of the kingdom of God as something that's already begun. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. God has already brought us into it. That's because Jesus is already reigning at God's right hand. Those who serve King Jesus are in his kingdom. But the kingdom hasn't yet come in all its fullness. For now, Jesus is reigning in the midst of his enemies, to use words from Psalm 110. A time will come when Jesus' enemies are no longer present in the world, but that time hasn't yet come. Earlier in Ephesians, there's a verse that demonstrates this point, that the kingdom hasn't yet come in all its fullness. Ephesians 1 verse 14 speaks of the Holy Spirit as, quote, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. You can tell from that verse that we do have a stake in the coming kingdom. We have an inheritance there. Real believers have an inheritance there. But it's an inheritance that we will only take possession of in the future. So the kingdom of Christ and God is our destination. And that way of describing the coming kingdom is worth a closer look. The kingdom of Christ and God. If the kingdom was a law firm with brass plaques by the front door for the names of each law firm partner the kingdom would have two brass plaques the first says Christ Jesus the second says God the Father the kingdom of Christ and God they're the partners of the firm the leaders of the kingdom the main takeaway for us from that description of the kingdom is that Christ Jesus will be there it's his kingdom His name is on the plaque by the door. When we see the kingdom of Christ and God on our road map, it reminds us Christ Jesus will be there when we get there. He's with us now spiritually, but when we enter the kingdom, he'll be with us physically. He'll be there in person. On the night of the Last Supper, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed this prayer. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. I hope you're looking forward to being with Jesus in person because... He's looking forward to being with you. I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. He's looking forward to being with you. One feature of being with Jesus that I'm personally looking forward to is his perfect leadership. It's so demoralizing when national political leaders or Christian leaders within the church. It's so demoralizing when they make bad calls. But in the coming kingdom for all eternity, Christ Jesus will make the right calls. Every time he'll lead perfectly. Every decision made in his kingdom will be the best possible decision. And Christ's perfect leadership is just one of the sunbeams of his radiant glory. We have so many reasons to look forward to being with him in person and sharing his company forever. But we haven't yet entered through the gates of the coming kingdom, the kingdom of Christ and God. We're on our way, but we're not yet there. And from our human perspective, we have many years of walking ahead of us before we arrive at those gates. With that in mind, let's now turn from the kingdom in the top right hand corner of the roadmap to the highway of light that leads to it. Our second heading is the highway of light. The highway of light. Please look down to the three lines of poetry in verse 14 Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Those Memorable lines give us a picture of conversion. This is what it's like when an unbeliever comes into contact with Jesus through the gospel, the good news. Paul has already said in this letter that human beings are naturally dead. We're dead in our transgressions. Our wrongdoing cuts us off from God the giver of life and that means we're dead even while we exist left to ourselves our wrongdoing cuts us off from God the giver of life whatever existence someone might have without God it's just not real life but because of God's great love Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 God made us alive through Christ, through God-given faith in Christ. And the poetry here in verse 14 in our passage fits that theology from earlier in this letter. Poetically speaking, this is what happens when someone puts his or her trust in Jesus. That new believer wakes up from a death-like slumber, not real life, and rises to newness of life, life illuminated by Christ, God's promised king. I think of verse 14 as the sleeping beauty verse because these lines have a lot in common with the tale of sleeping beauty. In the tale, a princess falls asleep for a hundred years after she fulfills a curse by pricking her finger on the spindle of a spinning wheel. While she sleeps, a forest of brambles grows up around her castle, but a prince fights his way through the thorns, and finding the princess, he wakes her with a kiss. Of course, Sleeping Beauty is uh, a made-up myth, whereas verse 14 is describing reality But the parallel with sleeping beauty brings out the romance that really is there in verse 14 because God's gift of life is bestowed on us lovingly. Every believer is like that sleeping princess woken by her loving prince. Paul will go on to say later in chapter 5, this same chapter, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We see the full extent of Christ's love for us in verse 2 of our passage, which says, As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, Jesus lovingly offered himself for our sake. As a sacrifice to God, the sacrifice we so desperately need. Verse 6 speaks of God's wrath. God is justly angry at human wrongdoing in his world. How can we escape God's wrath when we're all part of the problem? We all do what's wrong in God's world. We escape it through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ shed in our place. Sin deserves punishment, and Jesus was punished for for us, for anyone who comes to him with faith. That's how the prince of the universe loved us and gave us life. If you haven't yourself entered into that love, you could enter into it today. Ask the risen Lord Jesus Christ to shine his light upon you. If you do that, you'll wake up from spiritual slumber and experience Christ's love for you forever. This Sleeping Beauty verse, verse 14, shows us how someone wakes up to new life thanks to Christ Jesus. And that newly awakened believer doesn't then stay in bed. As we've seen, there's a lot of walking to be done. But we're not walking to win God's love. As we've just seen from verse 2, God loved us first. He loved us in the person of his Son, Christ Jesus. So we don't walk along the highway of light to win God's love. We walk along it because of God's love. Verse 1 tells us, We are already God's beloved children. Now, as we walk towards God's kingdom, there is a sense in which we ourselves supply light. Take a look at verse 8, where Paul says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In other words, after Jesus has given light to us, we ourselves produce light. We ourselves join the light-giving side. We live in the modern world where lights are controlled independently by switches. In the ancient world, I think it's correct to say that all light came from light. One dark candle was lit up by a candle already burning. One dark, uh, one dark torch, if you think of those torches in brackets on a wall, one dark torch was lit up by a torch already flaming. And that's what happens when someone becomes a Christian. Christ Jesus, the ultimate light source gives light through the word, which is also a light source, God's word. And by receiving the light of Christ, we then become light givers ourselves, like candles that once were dark, but now bring light to the space around them. As we walk along the highway of light, we ourselves produce light. we thought about our royal destination and the highway of light that leads to it. But we're not yet finished with this spiritual roadmap. There's a zone either side of the highway of light and we'll call it off-road darkness. That's our third heading, off-road darkness. Verse 11 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. And this passage tells us what some of those works of darkness are. The first unfruitful work of darkness mentioned is in verse 3, sexual immorality. The Bible teaches that the only suitable relationship for sexual intimacy is marriage between a man and a woman. In many parts of the world, and for much of human history, what I've just said would be very uncontroversial. The only suitable relationship for sexual intimacy is marriage between a man and a woman. But what I've just said is a controversial thing to say in our culture. One reason why it's controversial is because our culture fully expects people to have sex before marriage, and yet the Bible says, no, that's immoral, that's off-road darkness. Another reason why the biblical view of sex is controversial is because marriage in America is now legally available to same-sex couples. America treats sexual activity between same-sex couples as perfectly acceptable and legal, whereas the Bible prohibits that sexual activity between two members of the same sex. So America is misaligned with the Bible in that area of life. But in a fallen world, a world that is not submissive to its creator, we should expect every nation to be misaligned with biblical morality in one way or another. That's what we should expect, that misalignment. It shows up in our society now in the area of sexual activity. In another society, there might be a different misalignment between that society and biblical morality, the teaching of the Bible. And we shouldn't think America was perfectly aligned with biblical teaching in the past. It very much wasn't. Verse 16 says, "...the days are evil." And that is a statement about the whole world and the whole of history until Christ's return. Putting it simply, there is a lot of off-road darkness either side of the highway of light. And sometimes that off-road darkness will be enshrined in national law. And that shouldn't take us by surprise. If you're unsure whether the Bible really does teach that sex is only for heterosexual married couples, then you could follow that up via the virtual book table on our church website. There's a page on our church website which is titled Virtual Book Table. And in the Christian Living section of that page, you'll find books titled Same-Sex Attraction and the Church, There's another book titled Seven Myths About Singleness. And there's a book titled The Meaning of Marriage. All those books will point you to the different parts of the Bible that address this very important subject. When the Apostle Paul speaks in verse 3 about sexual immorality, He knows what he means and what he has in mind is what the Bible puts in that category. We must let the Bible shape our thinking and living if we want to stay on the highway of light and avoid off-road darkness. In verse 6, Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Only the Bible can be trusted. Because only the Bible is the word of God, a lamp for our feet, and a light to our path. There is a a solemn warning in verse 5 that if we leave the highway of light and don't come back, if we settle down in off-road darkness, we have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. There's that warning at the end of verse 5. Sexual immorality isn't the only example of off-road darkness in this passage. Paul also warns his readers about covetousness in verse 3 and verse 5, to covet something is to desire something that God does not want you to have. The spiritual medicine for covetousness, the spiritual anti-venom for that venom of covetousness, covetousness, is thanksgiving, which Paul commends in verse 4 and also verse 20. Thanksgiving offers a pathway back to the highway of light if you notice that covetousness has led you out into the darkness. Take the pathway back to the highway of light, which is thanksgiving. Recognizing all the good things you have through God's kindness. There's another example again of off-road darkness in verse 4. Paul says, Let there be no filthiness, other translations say obscenity, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. One of the most significant ways in which we engage with the world is through our speech. The Bible recognizes that speech accomplishes things in the world for good or evil. God created the universe through his word. And so we shouldn't assume those unfruitful works of darkness mentioned in verse 11 are crimes, heavy-duty crimes planned in advance and executed with feet and hands and wallets and weapons, no, a few crude words that we say without thinking much about them can certainly belong in that category of unfruitful works of darkness. Speech can be in that category. Remember that believers are supposed to be luminous. Christ has shone his light upon us and made us children of light. Non-Christians can notice our light and be drawn towards it. But a few crude words, some obscene speech, some filthy language, and our light is extinguished in their eyes as they watch our lives. I thought she was different, they might think to themselves, but now I know she's just like everyone else. I thought he was a Christian who was really serious about his faith, but now I see from what he's just said that he's no different from the rest of us. In brief, those who walk as children of light need to talk as children of light. If we think again of the roadmap based on this passage with the kingdom of Christ and God in the corner and the highway of light leading to it and the off-road darkness either side, perhaps by now we can see that staying consistently on the highway of light is difficult. Later in Ephesians, Paul will talk about the spiritual battle that every believer is in. A battle, he says, With the powers of this dark world, the powers of this dark world. In chapter 6, we'll hear more about the resources we have for fighting that battle. But already in this passage, Paul points us to resources to help us stay on the highway of light. In verse 18, there's a contrast between, on the one hand, the power of wine to lead a person off the highway, and on the other hand, the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of God who keeps us on the highway. Be filled with the Spirit, we're told in verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. We're not alone. The Spirit of God dwells within us. And if we look to him for his influence and strengthening power in every part of our lives, our light will shine brightly. In verses 19 through 21, Paul unpacks what this spirit-filled life will look like. And it's interesting to see it's not individual Christians triumphing in isolation. It's Christians in community honoring God together. As we're doing this morning. It's Christians in community who are musical, verse 19, thankful verse 20, and humble, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we wake from our slumber like sleeping beauty, we find others who have also been woken up by Christ. That community will help us stay on the highway of light. The theologian Leon Morris, commenting on this Bible passage, describes the Christian community with these words and we'll end with this quotation. Those in Christ are people who have been transferred from darkness to light and have become luminous themselves with light in their hearts and radiating forth from their lives. They are to go on life's journey. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so delighted and pleased and thrilled to be in Sleeping Beauty's position. You have woken us up from our death-like slumber through Jesus Christ, through the light he has shone upon us, through the forgiveness he has provided for us. And you tell us now to walk towards our saviour's kingdom help us we pray help us to walk as those who have received light and who also supply light in a dark world we pray heavenly father that we would not look judgmentally on those who live in darkness but with compassion and love and we pray father that as we supply light you would use us as your instruments to give the light of Christ to others, that they too might bring light in this dark world and join us on the highway of light towards your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.